The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. This morning's scripture reading is Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the peace and the god of peace will be with you this is the word of god for the people of god well good morning church <clears throat> my name is dusty white i serve here as one of the pastors it's a joy to be with you this morning as we continue our walk through the book of philippians paul's letter to the philippians we're in chapter 4 so we're nearing the end of all of his thoughts in this letter uh, Christmas is an interesting time of year. Uh, we're in the second week of Advent already, and here's what I mean by interesting. Uh, it's interesting that you can walk into a store or a shop, and in the background, you can hear songs ringing out about Emmanuel or the mention of angels. That's interesting. It's interesting that on our watch, really in just the last couple of years, canceling people and the culture shifting that we've experienced, still most people tend to warm up a little bit around the Christian worldview, especially around this time of year, around Christmas time. And I think if you work in retail or if you service, you work with services and people, I think the culture has told you to say happy holidays so you don't offend people. But I think that if you like let a Merry Christmas slip every now and then, like nobody really scowls at you, nobody really freaks out. As I said that, some of you are like, well, I have a story for you. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Everybody just kind of warms up a little bit. And I think that's fantastic. Uh, but as I've prepared and prayed for our time together here, uh, as one of your pastors, I want you to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just the cultural baseline acceptance of a Savior at Christmas time. More people attend church on Christmas, around Christmas, around Easter, 
And we think that's great here. But Christ is also a person, and Christ wants to have a connection, a relationship with us. So I want to start this morning by summarizing a simple doctrine that we've been really encouraged to consider all throughout our time in Philippians, and that's the doctrine of our union with Christ. When we surrender our lives to the will of God in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to us, dwells inside of us, the Father adopts us into his family as his sons and daughters, and then Jesus Christ unites us to himself, and we are united to him. This is a fundamental identity shift. We are no longer orphans, wandering about in our own self-sufficiency, but we are instead grafted into the family of God. So if you are a Christian, you are united to Christ. That means that you belong to Christ, and he belongs to you. And Paul emphasizes this in our passage this morning here. If you're using the Bible underneath your chair, which is available to you if you didn't happen to bring one, we'll be on page 923. 923. Our union to Christ is all over these verses. Uh, First of all, verse 2. In the Lord. Paul here is addressing two women. We'll get to that in a moment. He's emphasizing that they agree, but not just that they would agree, but that they would agree in the Lord. Connection to Christ. Verse 3, in the gospel together. He tells us that they have labored together, not aimlessly, but in the gospel. That's the labor. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. So he tells them to rejoice. He's telling us to rejoice But not with this fleeting happiness, but with a joy that's rooted in the Lord. Later on in verse 7, he says, In Christ Jesus, that's our union to Christ, friends, he tells us that God will guard us in Christ Jesus. He wants us to know that the guarding is for those who believe and worship Jesus. So friends, being in Christ transforms us. Being in Christ transforms us. That's the basic truth of our time together this morning. That's where I'm headed with this particular sermon. Our union with Jesus transforms us in three primary ways. Being united to Christ transforms us relationally, it transforms us emotionally, and it transforms us mentally. That's where Paul takes us in Philippians 4 verses 2 through nine. Being united to Christ transforms us relationally. Let's look together at just the first couple of verses here in our text this morning. Chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So let's just stop there. Notice what's going on here. Paul is very tactfully and lovingly admonishing two women in the church to get along. He even says, he mentions this true companion in the faith to help them figure it out. This is a third party, okay? And he mentions Clement and the rest of his fellow workers whose names are in the book of life, so any Christian there in Philippi. In other words, Paul is saying, y'all do whatever it's going to take to make sure that Yodia and Syntyche figure it out. That's what he's saying. 
Which is interesting because that means that our disagreements are not just personal. These disagreements, this particular disagreement has disrupted the entire gospel community. This isn't just two gals who have some issues. This disrupts the entire church. Conflict is inevitable, right? We've all been there. It's part of relationships, so it's part of life. But notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, I'm so surprised. I'm so surprised that you gals have hurt one another and have some tension. He also doesn't take a side. Paul says, hey, hey, remember. Remember, you labored by my side in the gospel. Therefore, you need to agree in the gospel. The very same gospel of grace that we were laboring together with, we are sharing it with other people. Apply that to your very own relationship right now. And one of the beautiful things about how the gospel transforms us relationally is demonstrated here in the simple fact that Paul has a secure enough footing in Christ himself to exhort them in Christ. This means that Paul has a position in their lives to say, hey, figure it out. Christians don't get to act this way. That's what he's saying. And he has that position in this church and particularly relationally with these two women. I wonder, let me just ask you, who in your life has that position? Who in your life has the authority to speak in and to help you sort out your differences with another person? Important disagreements need important attention. Sometimes we even need a mediator. That's what Paul is saying here in chapter 4, verse 3. That's okay. So if you need a mediator every now and then, that is way better than just taking your ball and going home. If it made it into the letter to the Philippians, it's okay if you need a mediator also. Non-Christians can gossip. Non-Christians can slander and they can cancel each other. But Paul says, hey, we don't do that. Our conflicts, our conflicts get worked through. And our relationships enhance because of the gospel. So this is, this is different because we live in a very backbiting culture. In a backbiting and hostile culture, Christians are to work out our differences and we're to work towards unity. Sometimes it might take a handful of people that we trust to assist us along the way. It took that for them, so it's okay if it takes that for you. But being united to Christ transforms us relationally. So let me just pause here and ask you two more simple questions. First of all, who do you have conflict with that needs to get worked out? Is there someone here that you have tension with, perhaps in this room, that you have something to work out with? At the end of our service, after the benediction, we'll be praying together. Uh, we always enjoy praying with everybody. But maybe you should also use that time, uh, if that person is here, to work that out or to invite somebody else in to work that out. Second question for you is, who do you know that's in conflict and needs help? Now, you got to be careful here. I'm not asking you to overfunction. okay? Don't be that person. To help and love well means that you need to know your role. But if we take this passage to heart, if we actually apply Philippians 4 to the lives 
of our lives and to the life of Cormdale Church, I wonder if there are situations that you know of where two parties need to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God and maybe you need to help them sort it out. Because here's the deal. Avoiding tension is non-Christian. Paul says our union to Christ means that we are united to one another and that means that we work it out. And nobody loves these conversations, right? If you do love these conversations, then we need to have a different type of conversation because that's just interesting. But what we do love is Christ. We love Christ and Christ loves us and he guides us gently into these conversations. And listen to this, on the back end, we go deeper with Christ and our worship is unhindered. So being united to Christ transforms us relationally. Being united to Christ also transforms us emotionally. Uh, my parents divorced when I was two years old. I grew up with my grandparents. I grew up with my dad's parents. But my dad had this house in Benson, and periodically, sporadically, never consistently, he would pick me up and I would stay with him. We would do this a couple nights in a row. Um, and then maybe a couple weeks would go by at my grandparents and then we would do it again. It was very sporadic. Uh, and a normal night at my dad's house in Benson consisted of a lot of Budweiser and a lot of TV. And then he would pass out. This was our routine. He would pass out. I would crawl around his recliner. I would get the cordless phone, which was always on the other side of his chair. I would pull out the long antenna. I just lost some of you. <laughs> yeah. There were these landlines. And then if you were very progressive, you had a cordless phone. And then you had to pull out the antenna. Okay. So I would pull out the antenna. I would dial my grandmother's phone number. And she would literally sing me to sleep on the other line. That was always on the couch in the living room. I had a room there, but I did not like it. It was dark. It was this small Benson home. It felt like a castle of darkness to me. So if I'm going to be one of your pastors, what you need to know about me is that I'm just a very normal guy who battles a low-grade anxiety most days because that was my environment. So on a scale, on an anxiety scale of 0 to 100, if most people start their day at 0, I start around 10 or 15 and just kind of go up and fluctuate from there. I'm not upset. I'm not upset about my story. It shaped me to be who I am today. I've had to work through a lot of things. The Lord has saved me from a lot, but he's also used me a lot. And here's what I know to be true. I am not united to anxiety. Even if anxiety or fear can hijack my emotional state sometimes, I am united to Jesus Christ. And being united to Christ transforms me emotionally. So being united to Christ for you can transform you emotionally, but also not just like magically. We don't just stumble into a healthy emotional life. It takes work. And Paul tells us that right here in Philippians 4. We pick up the story in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This exuberance from the Apostle Paul, this exuberance from the Apostle Paul means that circumstances alone cannot determine the condition of our emotions. A Christian can be joyful within, even if our circumstances are very dreary on the outside. A disposition of joy can be cultivated. And as it is, it begins to regulate your emotional life. Paul says rejoice, and then he says it again because he really wants us to get it. Rejoice. Friends, the Bible doesn't give us commands that we can't fulfill in our union with Christ. The Bible doesn't give us commands that we can't fulfill in our, unions with, in our union with Christ. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near, some of your Bibles might say. And then we come to one of the most classic verses in all of the Bible, especially in all of Philippians. Do not be anxious. Are you anxious? Don't be. Is that helpful? <laughs> Let me moralize it for you a little bit. I'm making that joke because that's sometimes how we tend to treat commands like this and also how we talk about it to other people. Just stop doing X, start doing Y. And so uh, I want to show you that while this is a biblical command that we are required to obey, its function is to call us out of something and call us to something. So this verse is not a flip the switch kind of command. It's more like, Leave behind this way of being and come over to a new way of living. Because the gospel can change how we engage our anxiety because Christians can do something about our anxiety. The scriptures don't ask us to stop doing something negative without providing something positive for us in return. In this case, in the case of anxiety, we pray. So our whole world, I'm sure you've caught this recently, our whole world is trying to manage anxiety. Anxiety is big business right now. As soon as you uh, mention to somebody that you struggle with anxiety, the world wants to help you manage it. But don't miss this. This is, is kind of old. It's 2,000 years old, right? And Paul is saying, hey, God has something to say about your anxiety way before it became culturally fashionable to talk about. Friends, God's vision for our lives is that we wouldn't be anxious. But if we are, we get to do something with it, not just try and manage it. Philippians 4, 6 says that the cure the world is looking for is prayer. Don't worry, pray. That can seem very flippant to you, but when we're in Christ, we see prayer as a move in confidence and, catch this, as a move in relational trust to a loving God. Sometimes when my anxiety gets cooking and, uh, man, I, if you've ever been around me when my anxiety gets cooking, I can change the world, okay? So, like, we're remodeling the house. Maybe if that doesn't work, we're moving. I mean... All in like 10 minutes, I can revamp our finances, where we live, what we're doing with our lives. So if my anxiety gets cooking, you know what? My loving wife, she will stay calm, by the way, 
And she will ask me, have you prayed about this? No. (laughs) I'm too busy figuring it all out. Why would I stop to pray? Come on, get anxious with me. There's this conversation in C.S. Lewis's book, The Horse and His Boy. Shasta has endured a long journey in which nothing seems to be going right. His hope is fading, and as his hope is fading, he notices a quiet presence, breathing, and Lewis writes, on a very large scale. The barely audible breathing is Aslan, of course, the lion, representing God. He had been accompanying Shasta the whole time through all sorts of difficulties. And finally, Shasta asks, who are you? Aslan responds, one who has waited long for you to speak. And that seems to change the emotional reality in the narrative for Shasta in that moment, which reminds me of my own anxieties and how it's not always easy to talk openly to the Lord. We need help in our anxiousness, but sometimes we find it very difficult to talk to God about it. Why is that so difficult? Why do we sometimes resist speaking to the Lord? Anxious people know that they need help, but our instincts are to worry our way through doomsday scenarios with the illusion of being in control and being overprepared. But scripture urges us to pray rather than feed our anxieties. We do all of this because we're inclined to, vi- to live very self-sufficient lives. <clears throat> Listen to commentator Marcus Bachmuel on this. Worry can be the delayed symptom of practical atheism that grows from persistent neglect of prayer and an addictive belief in self-sufficiency. Its remedy is prayer, thanksgiving, and gentleness towards others. Wow. Friends, anxiety and self-sufficiency live in a codependent relationship. When there's trouble, we first try to figure it all out. Then we worry as if nobody cares. Sometimes we give God the cold shoulder like we shouldn't even be in this emotional predicament if he's sovereign. Sometimes we ratchet up our own anxieties by trying to hide from him because we've actually cherished a certain sin maybe in our private world, which hear me on this, nothing will double down your anxiety more than making peace with sin. I think it's really helpful actually to read Philippians 4, 6 simultaneously with 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. So if you're an anxious person, I want to encourage you to always read Philippians 4, 6 and have your finger in 1 Peter 5 at the same time. Here's what it says. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, Because he cares for you. Don't miss that last part. Because he cares for you. Maybe we don't pray because fundamentally we don't believe that God cares. God cares. 
He's not just the creator of the universe. He's a good father. He's not just the savior of the world. He's a savior who cares specifically for you. He saved specifically you. God cares for you. This is why you can present your request to him in a Philippians 4, 6 way. As you present your request to the Lord, you can do it very specifically because he cares. So be specific as you cast your anxieties upon him. We have to do the casting. We have to obey the scripture's call here. The Christian's anxiety doesn't have to just be managed. It can actually go somewhere and it goes to prayer. Prayer is the unique gift of the gospel of grace. And when we don't pray, when we don't cry out, we're just dumping fuel on our anxious thoughts. Don't be anxious, but don't white knuckle it either. Cry out. Access the gift of prayer that is yours in Christ Jesus. He cares for you. I can present my request to God with thanksgiving, not because I have to be thankful for the anxiety but because I can be thankful that I can go somewhere with it and not just go somewhere with it, but go to someone with it. And that someone is God the Father. Notice the natural progression of the thought in Philippians 4. Back to Philippians 4. Notice the natural progression of this thought. Don't be anxious. That's the command. Not super helpful if we stop there, right? Don't be anxious. It's not alone though. In everything I pray and I go to God with all of the peace that God will give me, that surpasses any reasoning or logic or anything in my understanding that I could possibly think up. That's what guards me. It guards my heart and it guards my mind. This promise in this verse for us in Philippians 4, 6, this promise is for the people of God. This is amazing. Anxiety is about fear and control. Think about all the control that you wish you had. All the things that you get over-concerned about. That you actually have no idea where those things are going to go or how those things will end. And then imagine surrendering those things to the God of the universe and letting him change your anxiety. I often pray with my hands open like this. If you've met with me, I've probably invited you to release your anxiety to the Lord like this. So let me ask you right now in this moment, what does it look like for you personally, you specifically, to give your worry, to give your anxiety to God right now? Like casting it upon God here this morning. The anxiety you brought in actually gets left here. Being united to Christ transforms us emotionally. And being united to Christ transforms us mentally. He's Paul's spoken of relational realities, emotional realities, and now he tells us to use our brains a little bit. Think, he says, because a life of virtue requires us to engage our minds. In chapter 1, Paul told us how to suffer. In chapter 2, he told us what disposition to have, what type of attitude to have. In chapter 3, he told us his own story and reminded us how far Christ had brought him. And here, in chapter 4, he urges us to live a virtuous life by setting our minds in the right direction. Dwell, think, fill your mind with, act this way. He's reminding us here, of course, that how we think matters. Because we become, friends, we become like that which we desire, whether it's vile 
or virtuous. Both virtue and vice happen because of habit. So Paul says, concentrate on this type of life. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So we meditate on things that are true. Truth isn't up for grabs. Truth isn't relative. There's gospel truth and we dwell there. We engage our minds towards what is honorable. There's so much dishonor, so much disdain around us. Christians, however, we move towards honor. In a world with a lot of shameful realities around us, we dwell on the honorable things. We engage our minds towards what is just. God is just. He always does what's right. So his people, as his people, we saturate our minds with what is righteous, what is just. This means that if I'm employing people, I do so in just and fair ways that reflect Christ. Whatever things are pure, we're consistently tempted with unholy, unchaste, and vile thoughts and opportunities. Purity isn't optional for Christians. So we soak our minds in pure thoughts and we reject the world's impurity. Lovely, whatever brings beauty, whatever brings goodness, whatever evokes love, Paul says, let's soak our minds there. Thoughts and things that provoke ugliness are not for us. Good report, we think towards the appealing things and the things that make good impression, not bad impression. And then we share these good reports with one another instead of, well, listen to how terrible my day is. We actually share God's evidences of grace along the way. This is good report. This virtuous life is uniquely available to Christians, but it's going to take our intentionality. You've got to set your mind in this direction. So Paul says, think, think on these things. And as you've seen me do it in my life, do it like that. And if you do, trust me, the God of peace is going to be with you. So let me ask you again, what do you fill your mind with? Too much scrolling? Too much 2024 Husker football podcasts? I mean, some, we can have hope, you know? <laughs> Maybe a little too much of that. Let me go deeper here, though, on the mind. If you're on Instagram, for instance, you will have suggested Instagram reels. They aren't technically pornography in the culture's eyes, they're definitely one click from it. If you sit and listen to certain news channels, you will undoubtedly be filling your mind with certain agendas, and those agendas will have disdain for the other guy. Or if you just had a baby, or you're about to have a baby, let me just ask you to please stop following mommy bloggers and influencers who make you think that you're going to mess up your child. It's not going to happen. God gives you this child. You're going to make it. People have been making it for a long time without influencers. There are certain things, though, hear me, there are certain things that we're tempted to fill our minds with, and some of them are actually crushing our souls. So if we're here on Sunday, taking in 75-ish minutes together of worship and the words, so great to start our week this way. I can't think of any better way to do it. I'm so glad to be here. But we are going to have to dwell. We are going to have to think. We are going to have to saturate our lives in the things of God. 
And twice in this passage, Paul mentions the peace of God being with us. Who doesn't want peace? The gospel offers us relational peace. It offers us emotional peace. It offers us mental peace. And Philippians 4 invites us, it ushers us to the throne of grace and says, we can experience the peace of God. Do you believe that? Because when we're united to Christ, we are actually united to the Prince of Peace. Every Advent, we read this famous passage from Isaiah 9. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is hoisted up on the cross to finish the war for your soul. Christ died and rose again so that you could actually have true, everlasting peace with God. Your relationships, your anxieties, and your mind can literally be different because you're united to the Prince of Peace. And that peace, the peace of Christ, the peace of God, will guard you. That's verse 7. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. That's verse 9. So friends, we are a people of peace who bear the image of God. And that God is full of peace. Look at verse 9 with me as we close our time here together. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. It's important, I think, that we hear this verse in the right way. It's not conditional. It's not saying, if you do these things, then God will be with you. Because you got to remember, God's love is not transactional, right? It's saying, practice these things, and in practicing them, this is how the God of peace is with you. These are the means by which he's drawing you more fully into his peace. I've always wondered why some of you doctors call your medical thing a practice. I like to go to doctors who aren't practicing who like kind of have it figured out. So when you walk in and your doctor's like, welcome to my practice. And you're like, well, I was hoping for a little more than practice, but <laughs> that's kind of what Paul is saying here. It's a practice. We're still doing it. And as we do it, we experience the God of peace. The God of peace is with you. This is the promise as I work out any sort of relational discord, as I present my request to God and my anxiety, as I think and as I renew my mind on the virtues of godliness in Christ, God of peace is with us. The Father who has made peace, the Son who is the Prince of Peace, and the Spirit who bears the fruit of peace in our lives. That God is with us. Let's pray. Father, we come here this morning under your word. We, we ask that you would help us to welcome the transformation that you bring us, that you bring us relationally. We pray for anyone in this room in the middle of conflict or tension right now that you would actually use this passage in Philippians 4 to bring freedom, to bring reconciliation, if not here this morning, this week, this month, this Advent season. 
And Lord, we know that anxiety is real. We pray for the personal anxieties in the room like Kevin did moments ago. They are personal and they are unique, but so is your care. So is your saving. And so would you free us up to approach you even this morning to present our requests to you and cast them upon you. Help us to believe that you care for us. And Father, we pray for our minds that we would be a people of virtue and not of vice. Would you gain ground in our lives? Amen.